Um, if you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn to Colossians, and this morning we're going to continue our study on the book of Colossians, and we're looking at uh, verses 12 through 17 this morning, Colossians 12 through 17. There is this really terrible TV show uh, that I'm ashamed to say that I've watched a few episodes. I don't like this TV show, but I've watched it because I'm married and Amy has control of the remote from time to time. It's called What Not to Wear. Now, men, if you've never heard of this show, that's more than fine. Let me give you the premise of it real quick. Um, two people who, uh, who have declared themselves to be uh, fashion experts get in women who don't know what to wear or how to wear it or they're they, they don't dress appropriately either. They put on the wrong clothing that's not age appropriate. They don't wear the right things to dress. And, and these women are uh, nominated by their friends, and they're basically told, fix them because they don't know what to wear. And so really for the entire show, these two people that are fashion experts, they get these women, they tell them how terrible they are, how horrible they look, and they're going to fix everything about them, okay? Women love this show. I'm not sure why women love it so much. It's really... Uh, it's really degrading, I think, at times and um, in any way. But, but the premise of the show is really interesting because what it says is that if you can take an individual, a man or a woman, and you can change their outside, then that will inevitably change the inside. That's the entire premise of the show, that simply by changing what you wear on the outside will change what happens on the inside. But throughout the show, what happens is... After they begin to work with these women and they change the outside, the women reject it. The women don't want anything to do with the new clothing and the makeup and all of the ways that these people are making them beautiful on the outside because inevitably there's something really wrong with these women on the inside. And what the show, I think, um, inadvertently, inadvertently and unintentionally teaches us is that you can't merely fix the outside and expect for there to be change on the inside. If there's any redeemable quality of that from the show, it's that. That you can't just change the outside and expect the inside to follow suit. You have to go down into the inside and deal with the problems in the inside. And then what's going to flow is the outside is going to come from that. And the outside is going to be fixed because the inside is fixed. That's what uh, we learned from that. Well, uh, what Paul is doing in uh, Colossians chapter 3, he's doing the Christian version of what not to wear. That TV show. If it was the Apostle Paul, he would be the fashion expert, uh, except that what we're to take off is not frumpy and inappropriate clothing, but it's actually the things that don't, that are incongruent with our life in Christ. And we're to take off those things that he mentioned last week sexual immorality, impurity, these passions and evil desires and covetousness. We, we're to take those things off because they are not fitting with the life of Christ or, or as a Christian. And what are we to put on? Well, today he's going to give us the makeover, the Christian makeover. He's going to tell us the things that, as Christians, we should be wearing. And the, the reality is that Paul teaches us that true believers will look a certain way. That doesn't mean that our skin color is going to look a certain way. It doesn't mean that our, um, that our fashion is going to be a certain way. But it's the character that flows out of a heart that has been radically transformed by faith in Jesus Christ. So the question for us is, how do Christians dress? What's the kind of dress that we should be putting on? And we're going to see that today in this passage. Let me read this for us. Again, this is Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. Hear God's good and kind word to us today. 
Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful that the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Let's pray and ask for the Lord's help in understanding His Word. Pray with me. Our Father, we thank You for giving us this Word that reminds us of how we as Christians are to dress and the things that we are to put on because we are followers of Christ. Lord, I pray that You would just ensure that we do not hear a man-centered gospel which is no good news at all, that it is up to us to make You happy. But I pray that we would hear the gospel of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That because of his finished work, we are completely secure in Christ. That we have assurance of pardon in him. And we are enabled by the work of the Spirit to do these things that you have given us to do. Lord, we pray that we would see your Son. That he would increase and that we would decrease. That he would shine through. All for the sake of your kingdom and your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So the first thing I want to do, I want to talk about uh, the internal foundation that Paul gives us. So the internal foundation. Secondly, we're going to see the external accessories of the Christian life. And then thirdly, we're going to see our essential disposition. So first, the internal foundation that Paul gives us over and over and over. Every week you've come and you've heard me say this, that Paul begins not with what we should do, but who we are in Christ. And he does that once again today, that before he starts telling us about what we should do and how we should dress, he says who we are and he reminds us about who we are. So this is the root and the reality of the Christian life, who you are in Christ. Well, who are you? Um, Well, first of all, it's about Jesus Christ and not you. It's not about what you've done. But the gospel, again, is about who Christ is and what he has done. We proclaim week after week, not what you have to do, not the thing that you have to do to get God on your side, but the thing that God did for you so that you can be on his side. And what has he done? He's given you his son, Jesus Christ, who is our atonement, our propitiation, so that we can be forgiven of our sins. And he goes through and tells us all of these things. The gospel is about Jesus Christ, objectively what he's done. The question is, have you heard that gospel? He talks about our new identity in Christ. And in this, in this passage, he gives six reminders of who we are in Jesus. And I just want to very quickly go through these six reminders for us. In verse 12, look, at me, look with me real quick. He says, put on... Then, as what? As God's chosen ones. That's the first reminder to you. Who are you in Christ? First of all, it it isn't about you choosing God, but it's about you being elect in Christ. 
our Sunday school today was all about this. And for the next two weeks, we're going to talk about what does it mean to be elect in Christ. And Paul reminds us that who we are in Christ is we are the chosen ones, God's chosen, chosen ones. He has chosen us. All Christians have been chosen by God to worship Him. It isn't first and foremost about what we do at all. It's about His choosing us. And we are not chosen because we're special. We're not chosen because we're good. We're chosen because the exact opposite of that is true. We are sinners dead in our trespasses and sin. And God chooses us according to His good pleasure. So Paul says that before you even get into putting on anything for Christ, you need to remember that your salvation is not about you. But first of all, it's about Christ and God choosing you. And then secondly, or the next two things, what does he say? He says you're holy and beloved. You're elect and you're holy and beloved. Right now, if you have faith in Christ, God considers you holy before him. That you are holy. Think about that for a moment, that even though you are a sinner, you are yet in the heavenly places considered and reckoned by God to be holy. You are perfectly loved in Christ, that you are His beloved. What does it mean to be His beloved? It means that you are cherished, that when God looks at you, He doesn't look at your faults, but He says, I love you, I cherish you, even as a young man cherishes his new bride. Don't think about an old man because by then he's bitter and resentful, right? No, think about it. A young man who cherishes his bride, okay? That's the way that God loves you. You are his beloved. And again, it's not because you're great, but because he's great for you. He loves you because he loves you. He considers you holy because of his work for you. Why are you considered holy by God? Because you are forgiven. That's the fourth thing that we see. You're forgiven. Look in verse 13. Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. You are forgiven in Christ so that our sins are not held against us as they should be, as we deserve. So again, that when God sees us, he does not hold our sins against us. And then uh, the next two things uh, that he gives us, and these are the last two things, he says in, um, let's see, in verse 15, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called, and in one body, and I think there are two things here, that you have been called by God to serve him, to be holy and beloved. You are called by him for that, and you are united to him and to each other. I think these are that rounds everything out. You have been invited into the kingdom of God. You did not work your way into the kingdom, but he called you into the kingdom. And you have been knit together. You have union with Christ because of what he has done for you. And because you have union with Christ, you also have union with each other, with everyone else who has faith in Christ. So that's our new identity in Christ. That's who we are. That's our internal foundation. This is the inside-out living of the Christian church. We don't do things in order to make us right on the inside, but we do things because of who we are in Christ. And because of who we are on the inside, we then can turn our attention to who we are on the outside. A couple of years ago, uh, the Republican National Convention started putting out this saying, and I think um, it was uh, John McCain who said it first, you can put lipstick on a pig, but it's still going to be a pig, right? As Christians, we aren't merely concerned about putting the lipstick on the pig and changing the external appearance. We're worried about the inside. 
Because, again, you can, just, you can put lipstick on a pig and it's still going to be a pig. You can take a sinner and make everything right on the outside, but deep down, what are they? They're still a sinner. But because of Jesus Christ, through faith in him and what he's done, he transforms who we are so that before God we are not considered sinners any longer. And because of that internal reality, we can turn our attention to the external reality. We're no longer pigs before God. That's the takeaway. If you're going to go put lipstick on, make sure you're not a pig, okay? (laughs) All right, so the next thing that we're going to see is our external accessories, the things that we're to put on because of who we are in Christ. So this is all about our clothing. You would expect then for him to go in and talk about all of these things that we put on. So every Sunday morning before I come to church, before I gather with you, what do I do? I put on a suit. I got to choose between three or four different suits, the ones that I'm going to wear. I got to do all of those things and I put on either a bow tie or this morning I chose this tie because it matched the suit. I put on these things. Is that what Paul is talking about? Is he talking about all the things that we dress ourselves with? No. If you look through the list of things, he isn't concerned about the way that we put on and the external clothing that we wear. What does he talk about? Well, he talks about very ordinary things. He talks about things that are just very common. What does he say in verse 12? Put on then, what things? Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. These are the ordinary clothing of the Christian life. This is what you're to put on day by day as you live out your life in faith to Christ. Let me tell you this. These are the ordinary things. Kindness, meekness, humility, all of these things. And in the Christian life, the ordinary things are the exemplary things. The ordinary things are the really special things because these are the things that are so lacking in the world that we live in. The world that's dying and dead and going to hell. They lack these things. And as Christians, we're to put on these things because they don't have them, and we've been given the ability to do it. So what does he say again? Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. As Christians, we're to be kind. I know that's a shocker, right? (laughs) That's a shocker that you are to be a kind person. You're to be a compassionate person. A few weeks ago, whenever those people were shot in that church in Charleston, What happened to your heart? Here are brothers and sisters, by all accounts, who have faith in Jesus Christ. They're your brothers and sisters if you have faith in Christ. You heard about the shooting. What did your heart do? The word compassion means with suffering. With suffering. That's the roots of it. Did your heart ache for those people, even though you never knew them, even though you didn't meet them, because you're united to them in Christ? That's a, good, that's a good way that we can see our own hearts and it's revealed to us what we're truly, truly like. What is your heart like when you hear about your brothers and sisters in Christ who are going through suffering? Does your heart go out to them? Does it move toward them in love? Do you have a problem showing kindness to people at Walmart? Okay? <laughs> when you walk into a store and they're in your way, what is your heart like? What about when you're at work and something is pointed out that you did wrong? Are you humble in that moment? Or do you lash out and point out all the other things that everyone else does wrong? What's your heart like? Meekness. Whenever you're, whenever something uh, is, well, meekness is simply just a humility. And it's a, it's a not speaking out whenever you have an opportunity to do it. 
and patience. How are you doing on patience? Dear brothers and sisters, beloved of Christ, are you patient? Are you patient? Paul says that these things reveal themselves specifically whenever we gather together in corporate worship. He says, look in verse 13. He lists these things and he says, bearing with one another, the one anothering of the Christian faith. What do you like specifically? Okay, you can, you can leave it all uh, for everyone else outside of this church, but look around this church. Do you bear with one another in this church? Your brothers and sisters in Christ, you don't have to go out of this church, but do you bear with one another here? And are you forgiving of each other in this place? Because we are the ones, most of all, if we can't love each other, how are we to be expected to love those who are outside of the church? God forbid homosexuals who might come through the doors of this church. How are we to love them well if we can't love each other well? And I think what Paul teaches us is that in Christ, because we're united to Christ, because of who we are, we need to be bearing with one another. Bearing with one another is not a positive thing. Bearing with one another means carrying each other's burdens. And that means the burden of each other's sin as we lash out against each other. And also that means in forgiving each other as we sin against one another. We need to be this way to each other first. And then Paul says that, um, that we need to put on the greatest accessory. Look at verse 14. And above all things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Our greatest accessory is love. Put on love, which is perfect unity. Now, Corinthians 13 is another place where Paul talks about this. It's the great love passage. It's the passage, if you had a wedding, uh, you probably had that passage read. And in that passage, Paul says the greatest expression and the greatest spiritual gift that's given to all believers is this ability to love. And what he says in that passage in in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, is that you can do all sorts of great things. You can be kind and meek and all this. And if you don't do it out of love for Jesus Christ, then it doesn't really matter. And so he says the greatest accessory that you and I put on, the thing that binds all of those other things together is love. Doing kindness without love is pointless. So how do we think about this? How do we think about loving people well? Well, we need to recognize that we have to, we're called to love the unlovable. And the ground of this, once again, isn't you welling these things up and these feelings or these emotions in yourself, but the ground of your love for others is God's, is the, is, uh, God's love for you. Um, so the question is, how do we love the unlovable? Well, how did God love you because you are unlovable? Let's contrast this really quickly. The world's motivation for love is not what I can do for you, but what you can do for me. All the responsibility, according to the world, for love and for me loving you is what you have done for me so that I can love you easy. Uh, so I can, so everything that you do, that makes it easy to love you, so that you bear all the responsibility for me to love you. So I will long love you as long as you love me. That's, that's um, Justin Bieber. Some of you are familiar with that. Justin Bieber, one of the today's modern poets, um, uh, if you've never heard this, this song, it's okay. But he says, um, as long as you love me, basically he says, I'll be everything for you. So all the responsibility is, you, is on you to love me. Um, and so, okay, so that's modern day poetry. That's modern poets. Certainly no one, some of you older folks, no one in your generation would say anything like that. Except you remember Frank Sinatra's song, You're Nobody Until Somebody Loves You, right? 
uh, some of you, that's your generation. That's exactly what this saying is that you're only love. I only love you if you're lovable. Well, that's the way the world looks at love. I will love you as long as you're pretty enough, as long as you're kind to me. I'll love you as long as you're perfect in that love for me. Well, that's the world. What's Christian's motivation? What is our motivation for love? God places all of the motivation for love on himself. He loves us when we were his enemies. He loves us when we were the most unlovable. In fact, when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And God doesn't wait for us to be lovable to love us. He comes after us. He pursues us. He loves us when we are the most unlovable. So the question is, how do you love? How do you love? Here's the thing. I don't want you to love me because I'm lovable. I don't want you to love me for any reason. As a matter of fact, whenever you move in love toward me, I don't want you to think about me at all. I want you to think about Christ and what he, he did to love you. How did Christ love you? He died for you. So husbands, when you go to love your wives, what do you need to think of? You don't think about everything she's done for you. You think about what Christ has done for you. Wives, when you go to love your husbands, you don't think about all the great things he's done for you and wait for him to do them. You love because of what Christ has done for you. If you wait for a person to be worthy of your love, you will never love them. You will never love them. So that's where we see our external accessories, kindness, compassion, meekness, humility, love. Well, what about our essential disposition? Last thing very quickly. Paul gives some final exhortations here. He says this in verse 15, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. So he says, let peace rule inside of you. This is not a feeling. This is not the feeling of peace that you have when you're sitting on an island in the Caribbean and you're enjoying the sun and the sand or any of those things. This isn't that feeling of peace But it's actually the objective peace that God accomplished. The peace that you needed because you were his enemies. It's the finished work of Christ for you. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. And he says, this should flow out of your life. That peace should flow. That because you have peace with God objectively, because of what he's done, that peace should flow out of your heart. It's a disposition. And that peace is going to flow to others so that you're not always needing to create drama in everybody else's life because everything revolves around you. Because you're at peace with God, you can be at peace with others. And then in summation of all this, what does he say? We should wear thankfulness. We should wear thankfulness. At the end of verse 15, and be thankful. And be thankful. In verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We need to be thankful to God for all of his work. That as Christians, we need to be thankful above everything else. Thankful for what? Thankful because everything works out great in our life. Thankful because I got to have a great night's sleep after lightning hit my house. I, I, I pray, I was praying that the Lord would protect us and lightning hit our house. <laughs> and what am I supposed to be? I'm supposed to be thankful. Right? Thankful. Why? Because more than a house and security there, I have covenant love of God, faithfulness from God. That regardless of the circumstances of our lives, regardless of everything else, we have the only security we need because of what He's done for us. Thankfulness. We have peace. We have no wrath from God. And then we have fellowship with each other. Can you 
you imagine that? that? That I'm thankful for you and the fellowship that we have because of Christ? And you need to be thankful for me? I know, thankful for me, right? And thankful for each other. Look around the room. Are you thankful for each other because of the fellowship that we have with each other because of Christ? This is the ultimate response to the gospel. You aren't thankful for what you've earned. You're thankful only for the things that have been given to you. God has given you his son, Jesus Christ, so that you can have peace. And a peace that extends through all of the circumstances. So very quickly, in conclusion, what do we see? We have a faith in Christ that transforms us from the inside out. Our actions reveal who we truly are. I want you to go home and think about these things. What is your heart like? Are you compassionate? Are you kind? Are you humble? Are you meek? Are you patient? Do you love? If the answer is yes, be thankful to Christ. If the answer is no, fly to Christ. Fall upon him once again because it is yours in him. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you again for this day that you've given us. We thank you for the love that we have in Christ. We thank you that you have loved us with a faithfulness that we have not earned and cannot earn. And you have placed your love upon us and you cherish us. Father, I pray that we would live in that reality and that we would put on the clothing that is fitting as Christians. That we might transform this world through your love. We again, Father, thank you that you're in control of all these things. We rest upon your sovereignty, on your grace, and on your mercy. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.